remembered my notes this week, which is good. Printed them up and ran straight to the printer, watched it come out, kept them on me. Now, let me ask you a question. I want you to be honest with me, right? I don't want any pious humility and all that rubbish stuff. Just let's be honest. How many of you have searched around your house at the moment trying to find the presents? One. Two. You you have. You're staying at our house. Look at that. More. Xavier. Another one, Joe. Look at all these people searching around trying to find the presents because we just can't wait until tomorrow. Well, my wife didn't even search, to be honest with you. She came outright to me and just said, can I have it? (laughs) She cut out the middleman. She's not going to waste her time looking for it. I just want it. Can I have it? And I stood my ground and said, no. (laughs) She'll get it tomorrow. I bought her this amazing, amazing pair of shoes because she really needs more shoes. But she was there. Like every woman, she needs more shoes. So we bought this beautiful pair of shoes for her the other day. And she was there at the time. She picked them out and I said, look, I'll get them for you. And I I think she was kind of thinking, well, great, you'll get them for me and I can have them. It's like, I'll get them for you and you're not getting them until December 25. She's already asked me twice, can't she? So even this morning, this spiritual woman sitting before us all, this morning said to me, I'm only going to ask you one more time. I'm only going to ask one more time. We are going to church. Can I wear the shoes to church? Like that made it more, oh yes, of course, church, of course, it's for the Lord, you know. I'm wearing these shoes for Jesus. Shoes is for Jesus. But uh, when I was a kid, I used to do that. I used to hunt around the house and try to find the presents. I'll, I'll, I'll admit it. Um, I don't do it anymore. Um, but I did. When I was a kid, I used to hunt around. And I remember one particular year, we were living in a little place called Claymore in the western suburbs of Sydney near Campbelltown. And... <coughs> My, my mum and dad at that point in my life, mum and dad were together. I was only really young. But I remember there was this game that came out on the market and it was the most amazing game. You know, every, every Christmas there's that amazing thing, that new thing that's just come out, that new bit of technology that every kid in the world wants to get their hands on, you know. And at this point in time, this was the amazing thing. And it was a 10-pin bowling game. Now, it was about that long... But when you're a little kid, it's like a, literally a full-size lane, but it was probably only about that big. And you set up these ten little pins at the end. And then what you had was a mechanism where you pulled this dude's arm back and it locked in. You put the ball there, you pressed the button, and he bowled the ball, and then he would knock down the, the pins. And I was so in love with this game. I wanted this game. I had to have this game. So my mum and dad uh, went and bought me this game. Uh, and they, of course, bought it uh, probably at... I know they bought it at least one month before Christmas. I know that, because that was when I found it. <laughs> now, it wasn't all bad. Um, around that time of year, every year, I just had... It's like um, feathering, you know, the nest when you get... Ladies get pregnant and, and they... What do you call it? Feathering your nest? Is that what it's called? You know, when they go around and, and just got to clean everything, just around that time before, well, about around that, that sort of 30 days before Christmas, I used to get this urge to clean our house. But not the places I always went to and knew what was in there. It was only those places I didn't quite know what was in there. I'd want to, so I'd, oh, look, presents. Oh, what would you guess? And so anyway, I got this present down because it wasn't wrapped. And so whenever mum and dad would go out, I'd go upstairs to their bedroom, I'd close the door and I'd get the bowling gun down. I'd be chick, 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 chick. <laughs> 
tick, and I'd just be sitting for hours. Oh, they're here. Back up. Yeah. They'd go out, back up, down. Tick, tick, tick. And I'd just play this game to death. I played it so much that by the time I got it on Christmas Day, I was like, eh. They must have wondered what was going on, you know? Really wanted this game, really passionate about this thing. They probably thought, this is the present of all presents. He's going to be over the moon, so excited. There it is. And I went, and moved on to the next thing. I don't even think I played the game after Christmas because I was just so used to playing it. It was old hat now, and I'd gotten rid of it. I became so familiar with that game that by the time Christmas came around, I was like, eh, whatever, and I'd moved on to the next thing. How many of you know that for a lot of us in this room... (laughs) This is probably message 51 on average for you this year. Roughly message 51, except for you, Johnny. You sneak it at me just then, so I thought I'd point it out. Message 48. Message 51. You've probably been through around 51 worship sessions this year so far. That's That's just your gatherings together. It's not your own private time. 51 messages, 51 morning teas. You probably had 51 morning teas. Probably none as good as that up the back right there. Thank you, by the way, to everybody in church that brought along morning tea this morning. They knew that the seacoast people were coming, so they all pitched in and we brought some stuff. Hope you guys enjoyed it. It was especially for you. And leave it at the end. I'm taking it home. Um, We sat through a lot of stuff all year. And then it gets to the end of the year and we have this thing called Christmas where we celebrate the birth of Jesus. It's not because December 25 is the historically proven date of his birth. Nothing to do with that. But to me, it's a little bit like uh, in the Old Testament where they would build those memorial stones. And when they would walk past it, they said, build this stone so in generations to come, they could stop and say to their parents, hey, what was that? what's that all about? Well, this is to remind us of the time that God did this for us and so on. So for me, Christmas is like a memorial stone. It's a time in the year where we get to stop and remember what Jesus has done for us, what God the Father has done for us, the lengths that he went to, to reconcile us back to him and to have relationship with us. But you know what? I think as Christians, we've got to be careful because we can get so familiar with Jesus. We can get so familiar with Christmas this time of year. How many of you know that the world is not pushing forward the birth of Jesus Christ? They're pushing forth budgets and KPIs. They're pushing forward the commercialism of Christmas. They're pushing forward a holiday. Now, I've got no problem with holidays and not going to work. It's a, it's a great thing. I've got no problem with family. We've got family up at the moment across from Alice Springs. Um, Jackie's brother and, and, and sister and, and their kids, they're staying with us. And, uh, you know, it's wonderful. It's great to catch up with them, great to have family time. But all these other things are being pushed at the expense of Jesus Christ. And I think the world is moving at a really, really fast pace to try to get rid of the baby Jesus. Kind of reminds me, I mean, it's no different. We shouldn't be surprised. I mean, if you read in the Bible when Jesus was born, we saw right from the start there was a push to get rid of the baby Jesus. Right from the very beginning of time when Jesus was first born. You know, let's kill all children to and under because we heard that the Saviour's come. Let's try to wipe him out. And while we're not physically going around killing people now, we're still trying to take Jesus out of the picture. And uh, I think in the Western world, we're moving at a fairly rapid rate at trying to do that. Uh, a couple of things that I was reading about recently was that, uh, I didn't know this, but last year, apparently the New South Wales government took all references to Merry Christmas off any New South Wales government signing. They just said, um, 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 have a, a happy holiday season. But they took out the word Christmas. I didn't know that. I was just reading it the other day. Sydney Airport got rid of their signs that used to wish travellers a Merry Christmas as they flew out. 
It just said, happy holiday, have a happy holiday. Um, this year, I don't know if any of you are aware, but Big W uh, made a few changes too. They don't sell Christmas trees anymore. They just sell trees. Uh, I think it's a forest, a green forest tree. If you don't want one with frosting and snow on it, if you want one with snow, it's called a white forest tree. Anyone seen that? Big W. They, they copped a lot of flack for it, but they took the, 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 the Christmas, the word Christmas and Christ, out of everything because we're trying to say, hey, let's just turn this into a secular kind of a holiday and let's remove the real reason for the season out of it. And you know what? If that's happening out there in the world and it's happening rapid fire and they're going hardcore at it, I feel like as a church, if we don't fight to keep focus on the real reason of this time of year, it'll be gone. By the time our kids grow up, it'll be missing. And I don't think we can afford to do that. We want to remember the real reason why Jesus came. We want to remember what this season is about. Holidays are great. Parties are great. Being around family and friends is great. Not going to work is fantastic. Apparently. (laughs) This isn't work. This is fun. But we need to, as a church, we need to fight hard to not get sucked into the commercialism of the season not get sucked into all the other things. Enjoy that stuff, but let's remain focused and remember why we're celebrating this point in time. I mean, if you want to take Jesus completely out of it, my suggestion is let's not have a holiday at all. Because without that historical fact, we wouldn't be here. You can go back into history and look at how... you know. Apparently the first Christmas wasn't celebrated until about 384 AD in Rome. Before that, there was no official Christmas. Then the next recorded one, I think, is around 600-something. Um, I don't want to argue about dates. I don't want to argue about whether it was a Christian festival, whether we took a pagan festival change. It's all irrelevant. The fact of the matter is, it's a historical fact that Jesus was born. He came to earth. God came, put himself in flesh and came to earth for us. And that's what we're remembering this point in the year. Like Jordan got up and led us in communion this morning. And we do that every week to remember the, the death of Jesus. Because to, to, we go through a week and we get... So many things pulling at our senses and pulling at our focus and pulling at our heart. And it's good to have that moment in time where we go, okay, all that stuff's real, it's happening, but I just want to refocus my life and go right here. I've got to just get my my focus back on God. Let's remember that God is here. How many of you went to work this week and you had a problem at work this week and your boss said, oh, really, let's pray together? One or two of you might have been lucky enough to have a Christian boss who did that. Most bosses don't do that kind of stuff, you know. I was talking to a South African friend of mine. Uh, who, who moved over here for a time. And he was telling me that one of the things that really shocked him when he came to Australia was he, when he lived in South Africa with his family, he said if we had a problem at work, the crops weren't growing, the machinery was breaking. He said, I'd go into my boss and we'd gather the, the, the workers together and we would pray. And we would pray, we would ask the Lord to intervene and to step in and do things. Now, he said one of the biggest shocks I got was when I moved to Australia and I got a job and nobody did that. Nobody was, 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 you go to work and they weren't pointing you to God. He found church was a real lifeline for him, just to gather together with other believers because the rest of the week out there, nobody was pointing him back to God. And they're pointing to all kinds of other things, but not to God. So we need to remember the reason why we're here, and that is because we're celebrating the historical fact that God put flesh on himself and he came down to earth. What I want to do this morning is just real simple Have a look at five things that that Jesus said about himself as to his purpose. Why did he come? It's a fact that he came, but the question, I guess, is why did Jesus Christ come to the earth? Martin Luther said this once. He said, The mystery of the humanity of Christ, that he sunk himself into our flesh, is beyond all human understanding. It's beyond all human understanding. Whilst it's beyond human human reason as to why God would do what he did, there are some things we do know about the reasons why 
Jesus came. First thing that I want to look at, John 6.38, Jesus came to do the will of God. Jesus came to do the will of God. John 6.38, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. I don't know about you, but I love reading uh, history about great men and women of God who have committed their lives to living out the purpose and the plan of God here on earth to the best of their human ability, to find out why they were here, to step into that, to look at the world around them and to see the needs and to see the opportunities that are out there and to put their hand up and say, here, my Lord, there's a need, there's an opportunity. God, pick me, pick me, take me. I love reading that kind of stuff. But you know, the greatest example we have of a person who lived a sold-out life for the purpose in the kingdom of God was Jesus Christ himself when he came down. There's no better example than that. A few years ago, I went shopping with a mate of mine. And uh, we went up, down up the Gold Coast to buy uh, Christmas shopping for our... Our goal was to shop for our wives Christmas. So we went up there to the Gold Coast to Rabina and we, we shopped and we'd get together for a little bit and then we'd look at separate stores and stuff. And at one point at the end of the day, we got back together and we'd been apart for a couple of hours and he said, what did you get? And I showed him all these lovely things I'd bought for Jackie and perfumes and clothes and all this stuff. And I said to him, what did you get for your wife? And he showed me some, ne- ne- you know, some jewellery and a bit of clothes. And then he pulled out the Mad Max DVD box set. I said, Joe, I don't know your wife as well as you do, but I've got a funny feeling she's not really going to be into that. To which she said, she won't be into it, but I'm really into it and I want to watch it. So I bought it for her so that he could watch it. Now, I've got a funny feeling as we walked around that shopping centre, he was not totally committed as we journeyed through that centre, he was not totally committed to fulfilling the purpose for which we went to that shopping centre. There's a bit of an ulterior motive there. And there is inside a lot of us too. There's an ulterior motive as we go through this journey of life. But Jesus went through this life totally committed and sold out to the plans and to the purposes of God. One of the reasons he came, he said, was to fulfil, to complete the will of God for his life. What a great example to follow. When we look at the life of Jesus, we see him outworking that, not looking for what was in it for him. I I love the passage in in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus is praying and he's got a decision to make and it's tough and we all have decisions to make and some of us find ourselves in really tough situations but I just love the courage and the guts and the strength of this man that he knelt down and he was emotionally honest with the Father and said, if there's any other way we can do this, take this cup away. I am ST ruggling with this right now. This is hard. And we've all been in those moments. God, it's hard. And you know what? God can handle it, I think, when we speak to him like that. God knows our hearts. He knows how we feel about things. There's nothing wrong with being brutally blatantly honest with God, but I love how he wraps it up. God, this is difficult. I don't want to do this. Is there another way? But it's not about me. I'm not here to fulfill my own will and purposes. It's not my will, Father, but yours be done. And he got up from that kneeling position in prayer and he walked towards the cross. Amen? He is a perfect example of a person who lived their life sold out for the will of God. It encourages me. It challenges me at the same time. For I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. The second thing that Jesus said about himself and the purpose as to why he came, he said, I came to seek and to save the lost. Luke 19, verse 9 and 10. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because he also is a son of Abraham. Verse 10, for the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Now we talk a lot about the saving nature of Jesus, but what I love about the passage is the seeking. 
It's the seeking. You know, God came seeking after you. He came looking for you. He comes looking for people. He doesn't just stand there and go, right, here it is. I've done what I've done. I can save you. I can save you. Just all come to me. There's an aspect of the nature and character of God and the Holy Spirit where he's seeking after us, where he's coming out and he's looking after us. When I think back to my own life and my own testimony and the things that happened, I was brought up in a non-church family, no Bibles in the house, never went to church, none of that stuff. But I look back now as a believer and I can see from about the age of probably 12 to 19 where Jesus came seeking after me. And I was like a gypsy. My mother was a gypsy and we lived in this town, that town, all over the place. I went to seven high schools in grade seven because my mother just could not stay in the one place longer than a couple of months. But everywhere we would go, it was amazing. I would bump into these Christians or more to the point, they would seek me out. Strange occurrences. I was living in Mudgee at one point with no electricity. We couldn't afford our electricity bills. It was just me and my dad at this point. And so at night time, it was me, uh, three dogs and seven cats and a fireplace because I had to get the fire on before the sun went down because we had no electricity. And so I'd sit there at night and I'd have the fireplace going and my dogs and my cats and that was it. My dad would be away all night. He'd come home about an hour in the afternoon. They'd load his, his meat truck up and he'd drive back into Sydney, uh, across the Blue Mountains into Sydney, deliver. And he was home for about an hour each afternoon. Then he'd get home on, on, uh, on uh, Saturday morning and he'd just collapse and sleep. And then Sunday afternoon, load the truck and go. And you know what? I had this knock on the door one day from this woman. Bang, bang, bang. I answer the door. This lady says, look, you don't know me, but I noticed your house and I've kind of worked out what's going on from a neighbour down the street. Would you like to come round to my house after school and would you like to do homework at my house? Because I know you've got no electricity. Well, you can imagine how unattractive that invitation is to a kid who's now got a logical excuse as to why I don't have to do homework. Why would I ruin that by going to your house, love? Please. But then I met her daughter and all of a sudden I had such a passion to learn. (laughs) Oh... I was so passionate to educate myself then. Until I found out she wasn't interested in me, then it just left me. It was gone. So I found out years later that family were believers. How they came across me, I don't know. I left there and I moved to another place and I ended up, actually ended up in Ballina at 15 years of age. First day I go outside, I'm living with my uncle and auntie. I walk outside to play a game of cricket in a park with a bunch of kids in the street. The kid comes up to me, introduces himself. His name's Alan. I thought, oh, my name's Alan too, cool. Turns out he's a Christian. His father runs a youth group. His father taught me how to drive. Uh, the family used to take me in on Sundays and invite me around for lunch after they came home from church and taught me a lot of things about family and so on. Um, I'm forever in, in, in debt to that family, very grateful to that family. All their boys, I think, have gone on to be Anglican ministers now around uh, New South Wales and Queensland. Um, but you know what? I never went looking, but, but there was this sense of God. And that's just a couple of stories. I could stand here for another hour and tell you stories where I had nothing to do with it. God came searching for me. And you know what? God came searching for you too. He saves us, but I love the picture and the thought that he seeks after us as well. It doesn't matter how far away your family members are, how far away your relatives, your friends are from God. If he can grab a man called Saul of Tarsus, turn his life around and turn him into the person he was, then there's nobody that he can't reach. Amen? There's nobody that is not out there doing everything he can, working overtime, going, I'm seeking after these people. You know, quite often the reason why he's not finding things is because he uses us to seek with him. We're his tools, we're his instruments. And he speaks to us and he guides us and he leads us to take his love, his message, his mercy and so on out there because God is looking. It's the will of God, the Bible says, that none should perish. All should come to repentance. All is a big word. It's all inclusive. Everybody. I love the thought that Jesus came to save, but I love the thought that he came to seek. And we see it in the Bible. We see him looking for people. I love John chapter 4, where the woman at the well, where the Bible says that he, he, he had to go from... from um, uh, 
down here up, where was he going again? He went from up to Jerusalem from Galilee, I think it was, something like that, going up. And the, but, the, but the Bible says this in John 4, says he had to go through Samaria when he didn't have to go through Samaria. Most people crossed the river down here, went up and recrossed back up here. They avoided Samaria. Yet the Bible says he needed to go through. And if you look at that, there was this compulsion inside of him. He needed to go there because he was seeking after a woman at a well. And he met her. And he changed her life. And she ran into the city. And she told all these people this. You know, the reason I'm out there in the middle of the day by myself because you reject me, because you won't talk to me, because you know who I am, this man who knows more about me than you do loved me. Come and meet him. And a whole village come to faith. I love the fact that he's out there and he's seeking and he's looking after us. Third thing that Jesus said about himself was that he came to destroy the works of the devil. 1 John 3.8 says this. says, He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. You know, way back in the Garden of Eden in the beginning, God was in control. Man had the keys. We made a stupid mistake. We said, well, we don't want to do things your way anymore and we'll listen, to, oh, I was going to say, we listen to you devil while I'm looking at my wife. Tragic. <laughs> Tragic. Would have been terrible. I can't do Pauline either. <laughs> okay. And the devil said, you know. <laughs> and we handed authority over. We handed authority over. The devil even said to Jesus at one point, bow your knee and I'll give you all authority. I'll give you all this stuff. Jesus didn't dispute that. He said, no, I'll get the keys back, but it's not going to happen your way. It's not going to happen on your terms. There's a plan in place here. He came to destroy the works of the devil. How did Jesus do that? Well, he did it with his preaching. He did it with his teaching. He smashed religious ideas and theologies. He did it through healing. He went about. The Bible says he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. Why? Because God was with this man. He went out there and he healed. He prayed for the sick. He set people free. He opened blinded eyes. He raised the dead. All that stuff that we read about, he did it then. He's still doing it today. He's still doing it today, amen? He delivered people that were bound by satanic bondages, people that had addictions, people that had things on the inside. They felt like, I'll never escape this. I'm in bondage to this. I can't get away from it. He came on in and he said, have faith, trust me. And he set people free and he cut off the chains and he cut off the shackles. He accepted outcasts, people that nobody else wanted to go near. He'd wrap his arms around, he touched lepers, he did all kinds of things that were socially unacceptable. But in the kingdom of heaven, they're very acceptable because God loves everybody. And he challenged religious pride, got in the face of those religious leaders, and he pointed out their hypocrisy, and he didn't, didn't bow down to it. He didn't flinch from it, even to the point where it cost him his life. Fourth thing that we know about the purpose of Jesus is that Jesus came to give his life in our place. Mark 10.45, Jesus said this, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. I came across this quote recently, and it was from an unknown author. Some of you may have heard it before. He said, If our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness. So God sent us a saviour. God sent us a saviour. Jesus came to earth to die. Imagine that. Imagine getting that revelation one day, my purpose is to die. Not only getting that revelation, but going, not my will, but yours be done. Living it out. He came to die for us. See, God was in a dilemma when mankind turned their back on him. God's got this justice side of his nature. He's got this mercy side of his nature. How can he uphold both without compromising either? 
So he sends Jesus. Jesus comes and he fulfills both the justice and the mercy side of God. Mercy because God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God doesn't want to punish us. He's not an angry God sitting up there looking for reasons to beat down upon us. He's sitting up there loving upon us, seeking after us, wanting to set us free, wanting to help us. And he looks down and he goes, I don't want to punish these people. So Jesus comes. And Jesus takes the punishment upon himself. Jesus dies. He and you know sin became sin for us. He dies so that we can walk into forgiveness and freedom. I think that's a beautiful thing. He died so that we don't have to. He took our place, as it were, so that we don't have to. In doing so, God said, right, my justice side is complete. I'm happy on the justice side of my character because there's no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood, Hebrews says. So he sheds the blood of Jesus. But at the same time, he's able to extend mercy to us because we're not going to suffer the penalty. We don't have to pay the price because Jesus did that. He came to give his life in our place. And the fifth thing we know about the purpose and reason that Jesus was born, in John 10.10, Jesus says this. He says, The thief does not come except to steal, to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life, that they may have it more abundantly. He came to give us life. Now, there's a tragedy about human existence, and it's, it's this. That everybody who lives will die, but not everybody who dies will have actually lived. Everyone who lives is going to die. But not everybody who dies is going to be able to look back and go, I really lived. Because I do believe that old picture, that there's this God-shaped hole in the heart of humanity. There's something inside of us that craves connection with the eternal. Every, you look at anthropology, every, every uh, generation, every nation, every culture that has been discovered has had some form of deity. Go back as far as you want. There's some form of, of, of deity and God that they worship. Why? Because inside the heart of man, there's an understanding that there has got to be more to this existence. There's got to be more to life than what we see, taste, touch, feel, and smell. That's because God has put a taste of eternity inside of us. It's a tragedy. Every time we, we turn on the TV and we watch the news and we see another celebrity, another pop star, another rich person, another popular person has decided that everything they have is not enough and they end it. It's sad. It's terrible. But at the same time, it's their testimony. It's their way of saying to the world, don't spend your life chasing money. It won't satisfy. Don't think fame and popularity will do it. It won't satisfy. Don't think the most toys and the more houses and the biggest cars are going to give you what you need on the inside because it won't satisfy. It leads to one place because the only thing that really satisfies is when we get connected up with God. See, I think that God wants to create within us a fully human race again. I don't think we're fully human. We lost a lot of our humanity when we walked away from God. Each of us in this room, as we've grown up, life has beaten us and battered us and things have come against us, chipped away at our personality chipped away at who we are on the inside, chipped away at the real us to the point where many of us later in life, we sit up one day and we go, you know, I don't even really actually know who I am. I don't know if I like this or I like that. Am I this kind of dress? Am I that kind of person? Because we've been told what's acceptable, what's not. We've been shaped, we've been moulded to be a particular type of person. And one day we wake up and we go, I actually don't really know even what I like. I don't know where I like to holiday. I don't know how I like to dress. I don't know what sort of music. I don't, I don't know. And I think part of the process of discipleship is the Holy Spirit chips away at us on the inside. And he goes, I want to unpack all this stuff because I want to help you become fully human again by the help and by the power of the Holy Spirit. God wants to bring true life to us. Jesus came to give us life. I'll finish with this. In December of 1903, 
after many, many attempts and trials and efforts to get a machine to get up off the ground. Eventually, the Wright brothers got their flying machine to get up off the ground. They were so excited and thrilled, apparently they sent a telegram of this message to their sister Catherine. The message said this, we've actually flown 120 feet, we'll be home for Christmas. She was so excited to get the message. Her brothers, who had had put years and years, money, time, effort, energy into trying to get a machine off the ground, who believed that you could do it when others mocked them and said it can't be done, and they finally did it, 120 feet. She was so excited, she ran down to the local newspaper, took the letter down and gave it to the chief editor and said, look at this, thinking, let's print this. Here's a newsworthy story. Surely this is a newsworthy story. And here's what the editor said. He looked at the message and he said, how nice, the boys will be home for Christmas. How nice. The boys will be home for Christmas. He completely missed the big news. Hey, a plane got up off the ground and flew 120 feet. Let me encourage us as we go home from here and as we wake up tomorrow morning and we do our presents and we enjoy our time together and we interact with people and we say things like Merry Christmas and all this sort of stuff. Let me encourage you. Don't miss the big news. Don't miss the big news amongst all the commercialism, amongst all the other stuff that goes on and is going to happen. Don't miss the big news. There's something bigger than presents. There's something bigger than gifts. There's something bigger than whether you got what you wanted or you didn't. There's something bigger than how much money the gift was worth. There's something bigger than where it came from or what style it is or what the brand is. There's something much bigger than that. Don't miss the big news. Tomorrow is a day. It's a marker stone. And we'll be celebrating and remembering The Saviour, the King of the world, came down to earth. Amen? Jesus Christ was born. Let's not be overly familiar with that statement. Let's not be overly familiar with the God that we worship and overly familiar with what Christmas is. I pray for each of us that tomorrow when we wake up, I pray that from from our hearts, that the first thing that we can say is, God, before we do anything else, Lord, let me just stop and say thank you. Thank you, God, for humbling yourself and coming down to earth as a man and paying a penalty so that we no longer have to. Amen? Father, I want to thank you for uh, God Christmas. I want to thank you, uh, Jesus, that you came. Lord, I want to thank you that you, uh, when Jesus went back up there, that you didn't leave us as orphans. You sent your spirit to come and to dwell inside each of us and to live with us, Lord. We want to thank you for that, Lord. God, we thank you for the gift of Jesus. We thank you for the gift of, of new life that you give to us. We thank you for eternal life. God, we thank you, Father, for the gift of peace that we carry with us. Because we know no matter what happens, Father, you're for us. We know no matter where we go, what we face, that you're right beside us, that you're with us. God, we know that you love us. We know that you care deeply for us, Lord. And I pray for each person here that we would know that, deep in our spirit, not just in our head, not just as a religious thing, but in our heart of hearts that we would know we are loved and we are special to you, Father. Thank you, Lord. God, I pray as we leave this place today, God, bless everybody. Father, keep us safe on the roads. God, I pray that we would have a fantastic uh, Christmas, New Year's time, catching up with family and laughing and reliving stories and uh, God eating and drinking and being merry and all that stuff. God, I pray that we would uh, have a wonderful, wonderful expression of Christmas. And I also pray in the next seven days, give us the opportunity to tell somebody about Jesus who doesn't know you. Give us the opportunity this Christmas to bring a little bit of cheer and a little bit of blessing to those that might not be as fortunate as us. And God, give us the opportunity too to redirect somebody's focus as to why we're really celebrating this wonderful time of year, Father. And everybody said, Amen.
Amen. God bless you. Have a fantastic afternoon, fantastic evening. Can I just say one thing before we go? Children, all of you who put your hand up and said you're searching for presents, can I just ask you to just wait 12 hours? 12 more hours and you're going to get those gifts, all right? That's including you, Ruth. 12 more hours, you're going to get them. It's not worth the pressure. Just go home, enjoy your afternoon. Go to bed right now. As soon as you get home, go to bed. And when you wake up tomorrow, when you wake up tomorrow, you'll get your gifts. Amen? Bless you guys.